Hey, writers, join our first draft weekly writers club. We meet every Tuesday from 12 to 1 Eastern time. For more information, go to writingclassradio.com and click on the classes tab. This is Writing Class Radio. Welcome to season four. Welcome to season four. Welcome. (laughs) You're listening to Ari Herstand, the man behind our theme music. I'm Allison Langer, a student in the class. I'm Andrea Askowitz, the teacher at the class. Together, we produce this podcast, which is equal parts heart and art. You'll hear true personal stories from the students in our class and a little bit about how to write your own stories. All stories bring the reader or listener into a world. That's the job of the storyteller. We talked about this in episode 29 where one of our students, Nilsa Rivera, took us into her world and really showed us what it sounds like to be hard of hearing. So check it out. Listeners have told us that was one of their favorite episodes. We're talking about worlds again because Andrea got so excited by Nilsa's story. In class, Andrea had us make a list of the worlds we live in. Then she said, pick one and take us into that world. I wrote single mom, tennis player, online dater, windsurfer, gym rat, health nut, Tidy whitey. Wait, what? You're a windsurfer? I was this awesome windsurfer. What? What's that look on your face? I lived in Hood River, Oregon. It's like this huge windsurfing place. And I lived there for a summer and I learned to windsurf and I got stranded. Then I went to, (laughs) and then I got uh, rescued. Wait, you just said you were good at it. Well, I got good at it after being rescued. I had to I had to get rescued. I had no idea you were a windsurfer. Since I've met you, I've never windsurfed because who the fuck has the time? Wait, back up. Let me let me finish my list. Okay. So did you hear the gym rat part and the health nut and the tidy whitey? What is a tidy whitey? Oh, come on. You don't know what a, a, t- a tidy whitey? No, an uptight white person, like a closet country clubber. Why do you say closet? Because I don't want anyone to know. Shh. <laughs> no, that's part that's a world. I live in that world. I don't I don't I don't I don't think I'm only that world, but that's one of my worlds, yeah. Okay. All right, what was your list? my list mom daughter younger sibling gemini though i don't really believe in astrology miamian bike rider curly haired person lesbian softball lesbian what i tried to do was get as specific as possible like mom is kind of vague lesbian mom is more specific when i hit on softball lesbian i got really excited to write about that world So Andrea tells me about her married lesbian world, maybe a little too much. But her old single lesbian life, that's way more exciting. You'll hear more of that later. But first, student Vicki Simon takes us into her world of a minion, which is a 10-person Jewish prayer group. I'm Jewish, so I felt like I would know more about her world. Well, I knew nothing, nothing about the world of a minion. Vicki worked on this story at home and then brought it in for edits. This is called Minion by the Numbers. Jews count everything. We are a tribe bound together by the Torah in which every chapter, every passage, every word, every letter counts. We count days, weeks, months, years, prayers, blessings, amens, and hallelujahs. 
After our ancestors left Egypt, as soon as they reached Mount Sinai, Moses called for a head count. We do all this counting while proclaiming the oneness of all things. I learned this at a twice-daily minion prayer service. The word minion actually means number and refers to the assembly, a minimum of 10 Jews age 13 and older who must be present to recite certain prayers. Among the 10, some groups count men only. My group counts women too. You need a minion to read Torah. You need a minion to say Kaddish, the prayer honoring the dead, because no one should have to mourn alone. I show up in the chapel at 7.30 a.m. with the regulars. We come to be counted, but we have a curious tradition that prohibits us from counting each other out loud. We count feet or heads, or we say, not one, not two, not three. I call this the uncounting. We also count the things that matter to each of us, happy things, heartbreaking things, sorrows, blessings. Some of us count publicly and some secretly. The prayers begin on page six with 14 wake-up blessings. Mike reads the Hebrew. He is an older man with silver hair, an orchid grower. His plants adorn the windowsills and the podium where they are arranged lovingly. Mike counts orchids. He also counts the number of consecutive minions he has attended, 1,700. This number matters to him, but I don't know why. I don't keep track of my own attendance. I come to Minion in spurts, sometimes because I want to, right now because I can't bear not to. I came to my first Minion because I was curious. When my father died 22 years ago, even if I'd wanted to say Kaddish, I couldn't. I had three small children and no one to watch them. After the kids grew up, I realized that I had never mourned my dad and losing him was still fresh and painful. I came to Minion on his yard site, the anniversary of his death about 10 years ago, and then I began stopping by regularly. Blessed is the one who gives our hearts the understanding to distinguish day from night. That's the first morning blessing, I take it literally. My morning brain is not primed to decode the symbolism. My favorite among the blessings is number 11, which includes the words, Hamechin mitzadeh gaver, blessed is the one who establishes the footsteps of man. It's the blessing for gravity. It grounds me. When Mike finishes, Dan gets up. He's a burly man with a resonant voice and a gracious manner. He leads the prayers. Dan took on this role a few years ago after spending five years in a, pre in a federal prison, a white-collar something. I would write to him at the holidays to let him know we were keeping his chair warm. He sent me beautiful cards, hand-drawn by a fellow inmate. I once asked, asked him if he ever ran into Jonathan Pollard, an American who spied for Israel and served 30 years in the same prison. Dan said he didn't know Pollard, but I think maybe it's taboo to talk about other inmates. When Dan recites the first lines of Psalm 30, it takes my breath away. I rushed through this psalm hundreds of times. Then one day not long ago, a day when I was angry about something or other, the words opened up and spoke to me. Rafa'enu Hashem hoshienu ki ata. 
Vahale refuash le malachon mekotenu, ki el melech rofe, neman vrahama ata, barohata hashem, rofe hole amo Yisrael. King David the songwriter is frustrated. David wrote, I had said in my serenity I would not falter, ever. But he faltered like we all do. I skip a bunch of hallelujahs and catch up with Ashrei, Psalm 145. Done right, the front end of each line is a call. The back end is an answer to a question hidden in the middle. A why, a how, a who. Once you've heard it, you never forget it. From there, my thoughts wander until the Shema declares, Listen, Israel, the Lord God, the Lord one. The word is does not exist in Hebrew. I sometimes read the Shema as God is the one and only. Other times I read it that God is one with all things. I like having that choice. We stand for the Shemono Ezra, the 18 blessings. Here's where you get to talk to the director. Make your case as to how you think things should unfold. God's moment to listen. That sounds absurd, I know, but when your heart seizes up with fear, you want to believe you have, the influ- you have influence with someone or something powerful. The fear dissolves the borders between rational and cuckoo and makes way for faith in the impossible. This is my time to plead, bargain, wheel, and deal. I inhabit the blessing for those in need of healing. More than anything, I want my granddaughter to be healed from the disease that has planted 31 inoperable tumors in her one-year-old brain. God knows she doesn't deserve them, and it's God's job to banish them, to uncount them. Along with the regulars, mourners often cycle in and out of Minyan. The Jewish pattern calls for mourners to recite the Kaddish for 11 months, morning and evening, after the death of a loved one, and again on the anniversary or yard site. The Kaddish sounds like an ancient echo reverberating and repeating. Most of the words are not Hebrew, but Aramaic, a language spoken by Arabs and Jews. Yitkadal v'yitkadash shemei rabah, v'yalmah divrach hirutei, Ten people, we each come to count the things that matter to us, the things we cannot survive mixed in with the things we love. Eleven months of mourning, 150 psalms, five years in prison, 1,700 minions, 47 orchids, one granddaughter, 31 tumors. As much as I come to check in with the director, I come to share a oneness with the others who carve out this time to bless, to sing, to pray, to plead, to cry, to count, and be counted. Hey, this is Andrea. Like Allison, I also didn't know how a minion worked until Vicky brought me in. In an early draft, Vicky didn't write why she started going to minion. Everyone in class wanted to know. In this draft, she tells us, which helps us walk in with her. In an earlier draft, she also didn't tell us what a minion was until late in the story. She assumed people would know. This might seem basic, 
But when we're so familiar with our world, we assume other people know it as well as we do. When we asked Vicky to define minion, she did more. She explored what a minion meant to her, beyond the dictionary definition. What she did so well is give us specific details. An important writing concept that sort of defies logic is the more specific, the more universal. So the specifics of Vicky's story, the details like actually hearing the prayers, in this case in Hebrew and Aramaic, serve to bring us in, even if we've never heard those prayers before. I love how this happens. The reason we read is to enter someone else's world. So when we write, our job is to bring people in. I might never go to Minion or understand why someone would go twice a day, but because she explains it so well, I get it. Now a word from our sponsor, but stay tuned because a story of mine is coming up next. Hey, it's Allison. We're back talking about worlds. Andrea's up next. My story's also about 10 women, but a different kind of prayer. Here goes. When I came out 25 years ago, I came out hard. I got my hair cut G.I. Joe style. I only wore Doc Martens. I let my armpit hair grow out. I joined a softball team. I was 23, and when you come out late in life, and by late I mean any time after 13, you have a lot of catching up to do. At least that's how I felt. I also felt like I imagined a 13-year-old boy might feel. I had a boner for a year. I came out in the East Village and fell in love with Jillian. Jillian was model beautiful. She had giant green eyes. She wore lipstick. We lasted a year, then broke up for a million reasons, but mostly because she didn't love me. At the time, I thought it was because I wasn't butch enough, so I joined a softball team to get her back. She was the classic lipstick lesbian to my softball lesbian. I know it's cliche to say lesbians play softball, but they do. And I know it's not fair to say that all softball players are lesbians, but they are. I played for the Cubby Holes. That was the name of the bar that sponsored us. The year I was on the Cubby Holes, we won a gold in the gay games. I know you're thinking I'm probably an awesome player. I'm decent. But the truth is, we won a gold because there was an international softball tournament happening the same week as the gay games, which meant all the real players, all the softball lesbians from around the world who were actually good, were at the international softball tournament, and then hacks like me were left to field teams at the gay games. So the competition wasn't all that, which is how I got an Olympic gold and how I know that all softball players are lesbians. Because we're lesbians, Jillian and I stayed friends after our breakup. I was sure my being an Olympic athlete would ignite our fire, so I spent the week of the gay games wooing her back. I invited her to all our games and she came, which obviously meant she wanted me back. In the finals, I scored an RBI to win the gold. The team lifted me on their shoulders the way they lifted Tanner and the Bad News Bears, And while I rode the team, I spotted Jillian, and she was beaming. We were on. After the game, Jillian invited the team to her place in Soho. I was the hero, and she was my girl. We hung out for a long time, all of us wearing gold medals around our necks. I put my medal around Jillian's neck. We ate chicken wings and drank cores out of cans and spent hours giving each other high fives. 
Slowly, people started to leave until the only ones left were Jillian, our pitcher, and me. Then our pitcher asked to take a shower. I thought it was odd taking a shower in some girl's place you don't really know, but she was sweaty from the game, so I guess the shower made sense. The apartment was one room with a bathroom, so when she opened the door, she stood there in front of us with a towel wrapped around her waist like a gun holster. With that, her sports bra matching them down, our picture was a doorway filled with boobs. It was at that moment that I realized sometimes I get things all wrong. A year later, I moved to Miami. I wore this giant silver ring that had a pearl tucked into the folds of a Giorgio O'Keefe-type flower. My mom took one look at the ring and said, That's a vagina. In Miami, I was looking for love, so I joined a softball team. Except this softball team was a baseball team. These women would be totally hardcore. I was sure they'd be lesbians and that I'd fall in love. On the first day of practice, I looked down the lineup and they all checked out. Bull dykes. There was Ada, our pitcher, who was totally butch. She had the boy hair and the too tight sports bra that mashed her boobs. Maria, our first base woman, had the same look, like they both spit tobacco into white styrofoam cups. I went for this look too. Though in retrospect, I might not have captured it. The look requires height and girth. I'm only 5'4", and at the time, I was 120 pounds, with nothing to mash into my sports bra. For a softball lesbian, I was sort of puny. But what I didn't have in stature, I made up for in style. I played shortstop, which requires athletic prowess. It also requires a deep connection with the infield. The shortstop calls the plays, turning two, turning two, or plays at first. So Maria and I made a lot of eye contact. She had the prettiest blue eyes. I could handle them from a distance on the field. But whenever she looked at me in the dugout, I turned totally stupid. I'd been on the team maybe a month when I asked Maria what she did over the weekend. She said, watch the Knowles game with some friends. I said, did you eat chicken wings? Did you drink cores out of cans? Maria said, I prefer Corona in a bottle. Dang. I thought all lesbians drank cores out of cans. The problem was these women never talked about their girlfriends. No one wore a vagina ring. No one ever flirted. One day in the dugout, I pulled my sleeve up over my shoulder to show off my pit hair and casually leaned against the fence with my elbow up. No one hit on me. There was one woman who came to all our games who was really pretty. She had wavy blonde hair and high cheekbones. She wore a bra that looked more like Victoria's Secret than Sports Authority. You could see lace peeking out from her v-neck. She drove a white open-air jeep. At every game, she and two chocolate labs bounced out. It was like an ivory soap commercial. I thought maybe she was a softball widow, a term for the wives of softball lesbians who are left in the stands all season. But the weird thing was, she never spoke to anyone on the team. She'd just stand behind the dugout with her dogs, and then when the games were over, she'd bounce back into the Jeep and drive away. I tried to play my best for the Jeep girl. Maybe she was the only lesbian in the ballpark. Maybe she'd been walking her dogs and spotted me. 
Maybe she and I would hit it off and then rent a U-Haul. That's what they say about lesbians, that we meet and move in together a week later. Maybe the Jeep girl and I would become U-Haul lesbians. The season went on with me trying to figure out the sexual orientation of my teammates and the Jeep girl bouncing away after every game. Maria did mention she had a roommate, which is a euphemism for lover. She told me she went with a friend, also a euphemism, to a 10,000 Maniacs concert. Had she said Melissa Etheridge, I would have known for sure. But maybe I had this all wrong, too. Maybe Miami baseball players just look like softball lesbians. Could they really be in this for the love of the game? I was up to bat in one of the last games of the season. I walked through the dugout. As I passed Maria, she looked at me with her dazzling eyes. Then she put her hand on my lower back and very gently led me out. We had a party that night at Ada's house. The Jeep girl ran around refilling plates of chicken wings like she lived there. Some college football game was on the TV in the background. There was not a single man at the party. I cornered Maria next to the cooler, which overflowed with Coronas and bottles and cans of Coors. I said, are you guys lesbians or what? She said, duh. Something bugged me about your story, I got to say. Will that hurt your feelings if I tell you that? No, go ahead. What was it? Are you sure it won't hurt your feelings? Um, yeah. Okay. All right. How in the world can you be sure that every woman who has ever stepped on a softball field is a lesbian? I, you know, I played softball in high school a little bit, and I am not a lesbian. I was committing the character, the Andrea character. I was, I was trying to stay true to, to Andrea at 23. But I'm also sort of exaggerating on purpose. Like, in retrospect, I know I'm 40... Um, Nine. <laughs> right. Now. And I know now that not all softball players are lesbians and that all lesbians are, are not softball players. That's a gross exaggeration. That's a silly stereotype. Okay. But I wanted that realization in the story. I needed that. So I also said twice in the story, and I'm totally curious if this worked or not. I said twice in the story that I'm wrong about a lot of things. Or maybe sometimes I get things wrong. And so I'm hoping that what I'm saying in the story is that these stereotypes I thought were true, were wrong. And the danger of that is that I'm coming across, I'm like perpetuating these ugly stereotypes. But I feel like I'm doing it with such fervor, like I'm doing it so hard that I'm hoping people, and this is what I'd like to put out to the listener. Listener, do you get that I am kidding, that there's like a wink in my my voice a tiny bit? Or did you think I was stereotypically idiotic and that I really think all lesbians are softball players. If you have an opinion, email us at info at writingclassradio.com or say something on Facebook or Twitter. This story brought me into Andrea's dating lesbian world. Even though I'm not a lesbian and I don't play softball, I know what it feels like to be looking for love. Softball lesbian or not, I get it. I've never been Dominion either, but I got that too. We'd like to hear from you. Take us into your world. Thank you for listening. If you love this podcast, tell your friends and teach them how to load a podcast. 
and then go to our website and subscribe. Also, don't forget to rate us on iTunes. It's not called iTunes anymore. Apple Podcast? Mm-hmm. It's not ever called iTunes? Nope. Don't forget to rate us on Apple Podcast, formerly iTunes. If you have a business or a startup, let Andrea help you tell your story. She'll come to your office and teach all your employees how to better articulate why they do what they do. Because stories sell. And I'm also for hire. I'll come to your retreat and help guests write through their shit so they can live free. Writing Class Radio is produced by Virginia Laura, Andrea Askwitz, and me, Allison Langer. Theme music by Ari Herstan. (laughs) This is Andrea. I'm just going to read the music credits because Allison's having a a laugh attack. Theme music by Ari Herstan. Additional music by Dr. Turtle, Jason Shaw, Poddington Bear, and Dave Deppy. Writing Class Radio is sponsored and recorded at the University of Miami School of Communication. This episode is sponsored by the Sanibel Island Writers Conference, November 2nd through the 5th, 2017. There's more writing class on our website, Twitter, and Facebook. Study the stories we study and listen to our craft talks. Write along with our community by posting on our daily prompt page or email your eight-minute prompt response to info at writingclassradio.com. There's no better way to understand ourselves and each other than by writing and sharing our stories. Everyone has a story. What's yours? That's a vagina. That's a vagina. That's a vagina. That's a vagina. How's that? I'll say it one more time. That is a vagina. Now that. what happens when we play outside we become healthier both mentally and physically we become more creative and more focused we connect with nature each other and ourselves let's take this outside a new podcast hosted by me marianne iveson an aspiring outdoor athlete and nature lover I speak to athletes, outdoor professionals, and scientists about their connection to nature, how it affects their performance, and everyday life. Let's Take This Outside, available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Podcasts, and at ivisonvoice.com slash podcast.